Welcome back. I'm Peter St. Ange. This is a weekly roundup of my daily videos on the economy and freedom, where I try to cut through the BS and lay out what the clowns are trying to do to you and what's coming next. Joe Biden and his pet central banker have teamed up to drain almost one quarter of the average American's retirement account in just two and a half short years, according to a new study by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. That's enough to take the average American's IRA down by $30,000 in buying power, and it's enough to take a prudent retirement, say $800,000, which would provide a 40-a-year income, down by a cool $200,000. The study found the gap is large enough to delay millions of Americans' retirement for years. In fact, my friend EJ Antoni estimates up to a decade longer of work. So how did Brandon and Jerome manage to piss away a quarter of the nation's retirement savings in less time than it takes to grow a fruit tree? Easy. Inflation followed by Jerome's panic interest rate hikes to swallow the spider to catch the fly. The panic hikes hit both stocks and bonds last year, which was a one-two punch that hits only once in a blue moon. That matters because stocks and bonds make up almost the entirety of Americans' retirement savings. And the bonds are supposed to hedge the stocks. So when one zigs, the other zags. Alas, 2022 was Joe and Jerome's perfect storm. In fact, it was the worst year for bonds since at least 1928. This alone knocked out 13% of the average retirement account, so about $17,000. A trillion dollars gone in the twinkle of Joe Biden's beady little Fed appointments. The fun did not stop there as inflation went to work on what's next, diluting it like water into wine. So even if your retirement account miraculously showed a gain, it doesn't buy nearly what it used to. So inflation took out another 16200 of the average retirement account, bringing the total savagery to $33,200, or about 25% of the starting balance on the average American's retirement. Keep in mind, Americans did not save that much to begin with. We haven't really saved since Nixon broke the gold standard. And Biden and Powell just lopped off a quarter. For those following along at home, Mr. Biden did inherit an economy that was poised to soar after the great COVID shot in the foot and one with inflation crawling along at just 1.4%. And then he turned that into the fastest retirement drain in a generation. So what's next? Even as our retirement savings melt away, a recent Senate analysis found that average Americans have to pay $11,400 more than when Biden took office. Again, coming from both inflation and from higher borrowing costs, thanks to those Fed hikes. To make ends meet, Americans are racking up record credit card debt, borrowing against their remaining retirement accounts, and by now, pay later is soaring 14% on the year alone. Add in Washington's black hole of debt, up $2.5 trillion in just the past six months, and the entire economy is running on debt, coming straight out of your retirement. Why are GDP and jobs numbers defying slowdown predictions? Easy, because most new jobs are disguised government spending. They don't create anything, of course, but they sure do spend, and they're about to get a lot worse. A few days ago, the Wall Street Journal ran an excellent article on what they call the, quote, welfare industrial complex. They kick off asking what's driving America's job growth, concluding it's, quote, government, social assistance, and associated health care. 
In fact, more than half, 56% of the 2.8 million net new jobs created last year were precisely that, government social assistance and healthcare. In blue states like New York and Illinois, those welfare jobs make up literally more than all the job gains. So 113% in Michigan, same in Illinois, 121% in New York. In other words, their real productive economy is actually shrinking. Without those jobs from just the last year alone, nationwide, we would be close to 5% unemployment. If you add back the millions of workers who dropped out during COVID, we'd be closer to 8% unemployment. Now, welfare spending is GDP. To be sure, it will get Paul Krugman popping the bubbly, but it is not economic growth. It's not making us richer. In fact, it's economic deconstruction, converting formerly productive people into permanent wars of society. Indeed, if you go into poor areas in many of these states, you'll see literally nothing but welfare services. So nonprofits, Medicaid paid health clinics, government agencies, with a tiny sprinkling of gas stations and takeout with bulletproof glass. So the productive economy is actually shrinking, but the GDP numbers hide it. All pretty dire, but brace yourself because there's a lot more to come, as literally millions of new welfare cases pour in wholesale from what was formerly known as the border. The journal reports that New York City is currently spending $394 per day on every single migrant. That's the price of a nice Disney vacation. That comes to $144,000 per year per migrant, which is, of course, far more than Americans make with actual jobs. Possibly more, since I can only imagine the games government activists play to hide the money they spend. Add these imported millions to the hundreds of thousands of, quote, drug-addled and mentally ill homeless living on the street, that is a quote from the journal, and you've got the makings for some very impressive consumer spending. So what's next? Those nosebleed trillions are just the start, since decades of experience has shown that the more government spends on welfare, the more people go on welfare. In Joe Biden's first stimulus bill, for example, they poured out nearly $43 billion in housing subsidies to end homelessness as we know it. So what happened? The homeless population shut up by 85,000. While homeless don't cost as much as migrants, they're just 86,000 a year, again, per person, which is also a very respectable salary anywhere in America. And again, that's taking the activists who run government welfare at their word. As the journal notes, quote, progressive government doesn't do anything on the cheap. Indeed, they note Los Angeles is currently spending $837,000 per unit to build housing for the homeless. So at $144 a year per migrant and $86 per ruined life, times millions, you get the makings of some fantastic consumer spending numbers, even as the economy and the treasury are gutted. A word from our sponsor, an IRA is an investment vehicle that can save you a lot on taxes if used correctly. With Unchained, you can hold real Bitcoin in your IRA, and it's the only company where you hold the keys and can verify that your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated or relent out. We've recently seen that futures-based ETFs dramatically underperform holding Bitcoin, so why settle for an underperforming asset? Go to Unchained.com and use promo code PETER to get $50 off concierge onboarding. By now, pay later is soaring as Americans spend furiously to make up for lost real wages. A recent study found that Americans' use of buy now, pay later soared 14% from a year ago as pandemic savings dry up and real incomes fall. At this point, one in four Americans have used buy now, pay later loans, according to LexisNexis. 
In fact, over Black Friday, they accounted for 7.2% of all online sales, which is up 25% on the year. The Bank of International Settlements tallied it up to a roughly tenfold rise in buy now, pay later since pre-pandemic, with app use alone hitting 2.5 million people. According to a New York Fed study, it's particularly popular among the, quote, lower income and less educated. So why is buy now, pay later soaring? Partly because it doesn't report to credit bureaus. So Walmart, for example, lets you take on a buy now, pay later loan right at the self-checkout, no credit check required. Of course, this is a catastrophe waiting to happen, given that plans offer a 0% introductory rate that can ramp up to 36% if you miss a payment. The Wall Street Journal profiled one user who used buy now, pay later for his groceries, but he's not worried since, unlike credit cards, they won't garnish his wages. They'll just stop doing business with him. All good fun until you multiply that by 80 million users, many of whom are presumably thinking the same thing. Keep going till your ball's deep, then walk away. Maybe make a mental note for the trillion-dollar bailout that you, the taxpayer, will be paying in a couple years. Now, as you might expect, the overwhelming users of Buy Now, Pay Later are millennials who have not just given up on buying a house or raising a family, they've apparently now given up on having a future credit score. A lifetime of dodging collections bills and downloading new apps to pump until they stop doing business with them. In fact, one study earlier this year found that fully one-third of millennials say they are at risk of bankruptcy. So what's next? The explosion in so-called phantom debt, like buy now, pay later, is a direct consequence of the Fed's catastrophic monetary experiment since COVID. By pumping out free money initially, they created these monsters, these lenders who don't care whether people can pay back, they just need the music to go on long enough to cash out. Meanwhile, the Fed's panic hikes over the past year have now fed millions of Americans into that financial wood chipper, chasing loans at whatever rate they can get to survive inflation and falling real wages. Like so much in this economy, we are running on fumes waiting for the next thing to break, with the supposed adults in the room only making it break faster. The typical American family needs $11,434 per year in additional income just to maintain the same standard of living they had when Joe Biden took office. For those following along at home, that is the inflation Paul Krugman says we beat at, quote, very little cost. Of course, we didn't beat anything. That inflation is forever. The number comes from a new study from the U.S. Senate Joint Economic Committee, which tallied up the change in price since January of 2021, when Joe Biden took office and coincidentally just before inflation took off to 40-year highs. They then compared that to hourly pay which has lagged inflation since January of 2021, also coincidentally when Joe Biden took office. Note, in normal years, the economy grows and we get richer. And that's what happens if Washington stays out of the way, since the actual people build more than they destroy, while Washington destroys for a living. The main categories making Americans struggle include food, transportation, housing, and energy, which together make up almost 80 cents on every additional dollar spent. And 11400 is just a starting bid. Other studies have found even larger gaps. So the Ludwig Institute found it's actually closer to 14000 Meanwhile, the inflation is far worse in some states, thanks to a combination of the Fed pumping up housing costs 
along with refugees from failing blue states. So in Colorado, Utah, and Arizona, all currently infested by Californian refugees, it is much higher. Colorado, for example, it's past 15000 in additional costs per year. Now, CBS, to their credit, does blame government spending with the obligatory media excuse of supply chains, which ended two years ago. Yet the inflation gap continues. A new bank rate survey found that just over the past 12 months, 60% of working Americans say their income has lagged inflation. Note that's people with jobs is even worse for people on fixed incomes, and that is long since the supply chain excuse has passed. So what's next? Even as mainstream media shamsplains Joe Biden's miracle economy, people can see with their own eyes what's happening to their paychecks and their grocery bills. One recent study found that just 14% of Americans think they're better off since Joe Biden took office, even worse than the dismal numbers in those tragicomic days of Jimmy Carter. Meanwhile, 76% of Americans say the country is on the wrong track, which is comparable to the depths of the 2008 crisis. The media wants to blame Joe Biden's age or his media portrayal, in a lapdog media no less, but Americans can see what's actually happening to them. For now, what growth we've got in both GDP and jobs are floating on trillions in government spending, so welfare and wars, and yet more trillions of personal debt from credit cards to buy now, pay later. Neither of these are sustainable. Both federal and personal debt keep snowballing as new debt raises the interest costs on the old debt. You have to borrow more just to pay what you've already borrowed. What's the end game? Either Congress cuts it out, slashes spending, maybe even hold back on that third and fourth war. Of course, none of that is happening anytime soon. So the alternative is something breaks, whether it's financial markets or defaults on that mountain of personal debt Americans are currently drowning in. This podcast is supported by our sponsor, MoneyMetals.com, the most trusted bullion dealer and depository in the United States. Money Metals is known for its competitive pricing, excellent customer service, and fast delivery of physical gold and silver, as well as their educational content and strong advocacy for sound money policies at the state and federal level. They've set the industry standard for selling, buying, and storing precious metals. If you're looking to help protect yourself against inflation and market turmoil, I hope you'll give them a try. To learn more or to buy your physical gold and silver, go to moneymetals.com. With the Federal Reserve pivoting back to the money printers, what is next for jobs and for your retirement account? Last week, James Lavish did an excellent thread on Fed pivots, laying out what they are and what they do. So first off, what is a pivot? A Federal Reserve pivot is when the Fed switches from making it more expensive to borrow money, called tightening, to making it cheaper, called easing. It does this by lowering interest rates, so making it cheaper to borrow and by printing fresh money to buy stuff like bonds, called quantitative easing or QE. The goal of cheap money is to artificially boost the economy, but of course even the Fed knows that this causes inflation, which is why it is so odd to do it with inflation running so hot. Hence, many assume it is a gift to Biden's very dim re-election prospects. Now, the past couple years, the Fed has kept money very tight, meaning high rates and actually selling off the assets they had bought and canceling the dollars. They did this to trim the inflation they had caused by making money super cheap during COVID. In fact, most of the time since around about 2008. So what happens on a Fed pivot? There's two main parts, the economy and stocks, your retirement account. For the economy, historically, pivots usually mean a recession is incoming. 
That's because the Fed knows everything it does destabilizes markets and the economy, so it generally tries not to change from tightening to easing too often. In fact, when it does, it's often called a policy error, as in they screwed up. So when they do flip, it usually means they've gone from being afraid of inflation to being afraid of recession. So they are suddenly making money cheap to try and plug the coming slowdown. Put differently, a pivot essentially predicts a recession, at least historically. Not immediately, of course. There's something called lag effects, meaning it takes time for the Fed to break things. But typically, the recession starts and unemployment soars within about 12 to 18 months. Note that unemployment typically doesn't actually jump until after the recession already started, so the stock market is usually a much better actual predictor of the recession. So how do pivots affect stock markets? As James put it, historically, pivots have been, quote, downright ominous for equities. In the last four recessions, stocks fell an average of one-third, so 32%, after a pivot. This, again, usually happens in about that 18-month time frame, although in 1987, it took more than two years, which culminated in the famous Black Monday crash when stocks fell 23% in a single day. So what's next? I mentioned last week that pulling a pivot in the middle of the hottest inflation in a generation smells of either desperation or a level of political cronyism that would mark a new low for the Fed. Either way, the most likely scenario going by the last 50 years of business cycles is that we are headed into recession, and stocks will take it on the chin on the way down. Of course, I could be wrong, especially on stocks. The old Wall Street joke says the market will do whatever embarrasses the largest number of people. But for me anyway, investing in stocks right now feels like picking up dimes in front of steamrollers. They've spent the money, here come the taxes. After a five-year global orgy of government spending, we have already got the inflation to go with it, now come the taxes. Turns out all that free stuff wasn't actually free. A few days ago, the Wall Street Journal announced, quote, the era of big taxes is upon us. They note that with debt more expensive, both for the sheer size of the deficits and the debt itself, along with the interest rates that governments have to pay, governments are now, quote, turning to voters and businesses to pay. So lobster meat trap. In fact, tax revenues have risen to record levels in many OECD rich countries and are largely being spent on wars on so-called industrial policy, meaning crony handouts to big business, and of course, for the alleged climate emergency. In the US, the change has been lightning speed, going from just over $5 trillion in tax revenue to 7.5 in just five years. So that's a 48% rise. Even in GDP terms, we went from 25% of GDP to almost 28% in just five years. So if it feels like the dollar ain't spit and it's taxed to no end, that is correct. Of course, taxes don't even come close to covering the obscene government spending of these past couple years, which is actually accelerating. The U.S. spending is up to 38% of GDP. In Europe, it's over half. And if you take the taxes versus the spending, that means there's about a 10 percentage point gap between what they spend and what they take. So to close that gap, they'd have to literally raise taxes by a third. So you'd be looking at income tax rates of something like 60% or more, even if they stopped hiking new spending, which is a hilarious prospect. So what's next? America is already at the highest tax rate in 60 years, and it is about to soar. 
The Trump tax cuts expire next year and Democrats are chomping at the bit for new taxes to punish the middle class and feed their growing army of dependent voters, many of them imported. Governments worldwide are already spending $2 trillion on debt interest, and that's expected to jump to $3 trillion in just three years. Remember, that's just interest on the old debt. These soaring borrowing costs collide with everything from wars to crony green handouts to migrants and outright vote buying. I mentioned the other day the left is already mobilizing for universal basic income, which alone would put another tens of trillions on the tab. Green handouts are expected to bump taxes all by themselves, another 3% of GDP, probably a lot more given history. Bottom line, hold on to your wallet because there won't be much left when they're done. At some point, there is no longer an incentive for entrepreneurs to build or even maintain. May as well take it easy if it's all going to the tax man. That is when we start going backwards. Read the full article, charts and all, at profsaintange.com. Okay, we'll be watching. The 2024 election primaries are kicking off in just a few short weeks. So Iowa is on the 15th, New Hampshire on the 23rd. So what are voters thinking? A few days ago, the Wall Street Journal put out a nice chunky piece sitting down with voters in the 25 counties who have decided every election since the misunderestimated W was dodging shoes in the White House. In short, they found voters who are struggling financially, who feel their communities are in decline, and who are worried that America's best days are behind us. These swing districts paint a picture of the voters who will decide the election, at least going by the votes. On average, they have lower median incomes, lower levels of education. They're older, whiter, and disproportionately live in small towns and rural areas. More than half live in communities with shrinking populations as the young flee and the old die off. As for this election, they are desperate for change, especially concerned about inflation which polls have shown is overwhelmingly the top issue for voters, cross parties, by the way, and the border is now catching up in terms of concern. They pine for the, quote, smoothly functioning economy of the Trump years when, for example, you could buy a house. One Biden voter was livid at paying $28 for a bag of cat food. However, he worried about Trump's, quote, authoritarian tendencies. So for that, you can thank a journalist. Indeed, polling shows that is the divide. So media and the corporate DOJ, sorry, corrupt DOJ, have successfully poisoned a huge swath of voters against Trump to the point that most Biden voters say they're actually voting against Trump, not for Joe Biden. As one high school basketball coach put it, quote, Trump scares me. And yet voters' top concern is the economy and increasingly the border. And obviously they believe Trump would do a much better job on both. As one voter put it, quote, all I know is my 401k was doing great, gas prices were low, the market, the economy were all churning along. So their heart is telling them no, well, their television is telling them no, but their brain is seriously thinking about Trump. That's even true of Black and Hispanic voters who have become so frustrated with inflation, the economy, and the illegal migrants that many are up for grabs, perhaps for the first time in their life. So what's next? Ignoring who is counting the votes, for voters, the 24 election is going to be a monumental test of the left's fear industrial complex. Namely, can it overcome the least popular president in a generation? It is not a done deal, despite Joe Biden's incompetence, so millions of Americans still passively accept what the media tells them, no matter how absurd, 
If you doubt this, consider how many Americans currently think sex is imaginary. And indeed, the bookies currently peg the election at a dead heat, 49% each. And finally, the elephant in the room. Who is counting the votes? Of course the left will cheat, as they have since at least 1960 when they won the dead vote by a landslide. The question is, how much will they cheat? The courts are starting to wake up, so two elections were recently annulled in Louisiana and Connecticut for legal votes, but we're going to need a lot more backbone from the courts, or dare we dream from Congress, if the other half of Americans are going to start believing in elections again. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to get next week's episode right in your inbox and visit petersanonch.com for videos and articles. Okay, we'll be watching. See you next time.